Hello again, everybody. I'm Kevin Michalowski, editor of Concealed Carry Magazine, and this is your monthly Ask an Attorney webinar courtesy of the USCCA. Just to be clear, I am not the attorney. That we hand off to wonderful Tom Grieve, leader of the largest criminal defense firm in the state of Wisconsin, Grieve Law, and also a former state prosecutor. Uh, it's good to have you here again, Tom. Always great to be here. You always provide some wonderful insight. Folks, we got uh, a lot of things to talk about, but... You probably know what they are. You know what's been in the news lately. You know what's happening out there. You're seeing it all over the place. And and folks have lots of questions. And the questions that have come in, uh, we're taking the questions this time from the USCCA community. And again, you can go over to uscca.com slash community. Join up and be part of the community. You don't even have to be a USCCA member to join in the community. Obviously, we'd love to have you as a member. But um, it's a great place to talk about all sorts of different topics and ask questions right to the USCCA where we can get a hold of them and, and provide answers for you. So, um, Tom, you've been watching the news like the rest of us. Um, the, uh, uh, I, don't, I don't even know how to describe it in, in the politically correct terms. The unrest, the, the activities out there on the street are certainly causing lots of questions for our viewers. So, um, in a general sense, I'm, I'm going to say I've been telling people avoid this. Is, is that where we ought to start? Yeah, I think that, you know, and, and I'm not here to politicize anything, and Lord knows everybody has enough politics being hurled at them, whether we want to be receiving yeah. it or not. Um, but I would say that, look, if you're at a protest, if you're around a protest, if you're near a protest, uh, whether you're participating or just people watching, if things start to turn violent, the best legal advice I can give you, get out of there. Yeah. Get out of there. Yeah. And, and I understand that that may not always be possible, mm -hmm. um, because maybe you live there, maybe you're trapped, maybe you're... XYZ, whatever it is. But if you can, get out of there. That's my legal advice. Yeah, and that's a lot of what we've been talking about lately is is the why doesn't so much matter to me. I, I, I don't really care why people are down there. Um, it's you know, Their politics is not my business. My business is to make sure that they get home safely, that they're not doing anything that will get them afoul of the law, that, that they're going to end up you know, sitting in your office saying, Tom, this this happened and, and I had to defend myself. What are we going to do now? Um, and and I, I truly do believe that the uh, um, the, the, you know, avoidance is, is the best opportunity out there. The, the, you know, the fight you're not in, that's the best fight. That's what I always tell people is, is the best fight is the one you're not in. So we're going to talk about some topics about things like, uh, you know, cars driven into protests and, and what you can do if you're in your car and how you can legally defend yourself from looters and, and, and things of that nature. Um, we'll also, I am certain we will be going over castle doctrine and, uh, and stand your ground laws and stuff like that. And I saw, um, one of the things, let's start in right away with, uh, with vehicles and stuff like that. I saw a post that it was, uh, it was half tongue in cheek, but it was true. It was community service announcement here in Tennessee. You can legally drive through protesters who are on the road. <laughs> so whatever the law was in Tennessee, I didn't check that, you know, citation needed, right. check your local listings, folks don't, <laughs> you know, um, but, uh, uh that, that's something that has come up. We've seen the video, you know, the semi-truck, the horse right. trailer, different things like that. Um, what are you suggesting from a legal standpoint? And and this is the question that, that actually we got into a, a, a very rousing conversation at a recent firearms training um, in, in our county law enforcement. Uh, there are several officers there um, asking about, okay, how the Castle Doctrine protects you in your car. 
let's say you're sitting in your car, someone smashes in the driver's window and is reaching in to grab you, and you decide that you would rather than shoot that person or, or fight with that person, you want to drive away. You mash down on the gas, you go forward, you hit somebody with your car who's in front of you. Now, I'm looking at this as imminent deadly threat. Who is the imminent deadly threat in that situation? And what can happen from a legal perspective the person to your left is the person who is trying to kill you to break in your car. The person in front of your vehicle, was that person an imminent deadly threat? Is that person an accessory to what's going on? How, how does this all work out for the guy behind the wheel or the woman behind the wheel? Well, what a mess. Let's just yeah. kind of start there. What a mess. And um, my, gen my general legal advice, just like what we kind of led with here, is if you can take a different road, if you can do something else, anything else than to head into those areas, do it. Yeah. And the reason why is because we're going to play, and hopefully this is not a trademarked term, but we're going to play Plinko. From, oh, okay. Remember the prices, yeah, right? Yeah, Plinko. Yeah. And for those of you who may not remember, that's the one where, you know, contestants play for chips, you know, these big, these big coin sort of things, and they drop them down yeah. the board and the pegboard, and it winds up wherever. Um, that's kind of what I feel like these situations are going to be like. And the reason why, and, and I'm not throwing stones, so to speak, um, but the witnesses are probably all going to pile drive against the driver, mm -hmm. right? No, I didn't see that happen. No, I didn't see this happen. Most people don't drive with, with interior cameras, you know, cabin-facing cameras to show the break-in. Um, it's, it's going to be a chaotic mess to unravel from, first and foremost, the evidentiary perspective to mm -hmm. establish the fact that Castle Doctrine may have been a thing here. Um, as opposed to somebody saying, well, look, the window was broken. No, I saw that car. That, that car had a busted window before we even got here, mm -hmm. right? Um, so it's going to be an uphill climb. If I'm the defense attorney representing the driver, right? let's just at least put me somewhere in this equation yeah. so we have a perspective to kind of move forward here. Uh, it's, it's going to be very difficult, I think, given who I can, I think, reasonably anticipate as being the witnesses, namely a lot of these protesters who may have been obstructing the street, maybe the friends of the people who uh, were breaking into the car, they are not going to say helpful things for my client. They are not going to be saying helpful things towards the driver. I anticipate a total, a total pile drive, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, and if we're lucky and everything was somehow captured on some sort of reasonably high resolution enough camera so that we can establish the facts of Castle Doctrine, great. Uh, but this is real life, and usually people are not that lucky. Now, maybe with news crews and everything else, you know, we can we can catch a break here. But otherwise, just right off the bat, there's going to be some major problems to establish the fact that yeah, no, this this broken window happened when my car was here, when I was surrounded, and therefore Castle Doctrine ought to apply. All right, mm -hmm. if Castle Doctrine does not apply. There's probably a reason as to why. So I'm going to look at this now two ways. We're going to go down uh, one side of the street, which says the Castle Doctrine, I could not establish evidence necessary to trigger Castle Doctrine. And then we'll take the right turn of, well, okay, we could get at Castle Doctrine. If we do not have enough evidence to establish Castle Doctrine and or I live in a jurisdiction without Castle Doctrine, then we're going to be back to, well, I'm going to have to be able to show that when I put my car into drive or when I mashed down on that throttle or whatever it was, uh, that my client was acting with insert whatever the self-defense laws are here when it comes to using a deadly force. So was I in reasonable fear of imminent death or great bodily harm? Now, if you're in, and again, I'm, I want to go into the weeds because I realize the fact mm -hmm. that it's very easy to accumulate conjecture and speculation about how these laws work. And I want to go a couple levels better than that. 
but I also appreciate the fact that it's super easy to go into the weeds and get lost here. So um, I'm hoping that by taking a deeper dive, folks will get something extra out of this as opposed mm -hmm. to if I kind of keep it at that low resolution point. Yeah, and we've got to remember too that there are a million what ifs. So, uh, so I'm, many. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to let you take this one and keep going okay. because I want, I want to go as far as we can, you know, reasonably. Right. I, I know that, you know, this could take hours and hours, but um, reasonably to let people understand one, just how complicated this is and why avoidance is probably the best course of action yeah. and and what they can expect and what might happen. So I'll let you keep going. So if you can, if your state has Castle Doctrine and if you cannot trigger it, that means that the evidence is so stacked against you that you could not establish that somebody broke into your car or was in the process of breaking into your car. That's a bad situation to be in mm -hmm. because if you can't even establish that level of, of evidence, uh, which is usually a much lower standard, uh, in court as compared to beyond a reasonable doubt or something like that, right? If we can't even trigger that, then we basically just have you mowing your, your car into a crowd when you uh, perhaps, you know, uh, we're not in a, in a self-defense situation. Again, from a legal perspective, which would privilege you to use deadly force. So that's a very bad scenario. And I would speculate that if you are in, if they, you're that far down the evidentiary rabbit hole, and if you can't even trigger Castle Doctrine, um, then the odds are good that you're not going to be able to raise a self-defense burden, which is ordinarily higher than Castle Doctrine. That's why we have Castle Doctrine is to, is to kind of skip ahead, so to speak. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's a good chance you're going to go to prison for some sort of homicide or attempted homicide or something like that. If your state does not have Castle Doctrine or if you're in a jurisdiction without Castle Doctrine and now we're working to kind of the higher threshold of, well, was I acting in insert local laws here, uscca.com forward slash laws with an S at the end. Uh, was I acting because I had I was in reasonable fear of imminent death or great bodily harm or whatever the particular local formula is? That being a higher threshold than Castle Doctrine, um, maybe we can hit it, maybe we can't. Um, if we can't hit it, again, mm -hmm. you're probably looking at a ticket to prison. Uh, if you can hit it, then we have the question of, well, okay, um, you were you were privileged to defend yourself from that guy who was breaking in or these guys from breaking mm -hmm. in. What about the people in front of your car? Were they just casual passerbys, so to speak? You know, maybe protesters, yeah. but they weren't engaged in any kind of violence. Were they, in essence, participating in detaining you? Were they standing deliberately in front of your car and banging on the hood or whatever it might be? And then we get into what are the local laws on transferred intent? Is if you seriously injured that person when you effectively employed deadly force, which mashing down on the throttle in your car and hitting someone in front of you, everybody's going to consider that deadly force, as far as I'm aware of. Mm -hmm. um, can we basically then put that on the people who are breaking in to your car? So, again, we can just keep getting lost in the weeds. Mm -hmm. um, and again, I'm, I'm, I don't ordinarily go into the weeds in these discussions, but I want to do something better than what I think a lot of people are doing online. The takeaways from all that from my end is avoidance. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you, are, you are going to run into a lot of problems on establishing any kind of credible evidence in your favor. Mm -hmm. Even if that's exactly what happened, yeah. you're going to run into lots of problems because all those protesters, they probably aren't going to be siding with you on what happened. Mm -hmm. They're probably going to have their own story that, that you did something without any kind of provocation. Yeah, that, that window didn't get broken until after he tried to drive forward and, right. and you know got hung up on the curb or ran somebody over right. or something like that. And one one factor that just is, is probably going to throw a shadow as well over probably all of our discussions today 
Um, and again, this is about getting into the politics of it. But keep in mind that your juries will be political creatures. Mm -hmm. The prosecutors can be political creatures. Judges can be political creatures. Defense attorneys can be political creatures. If you are in an area where you have such mass uh, protests slash riots slash whatever it is you want to call them, right, uh, you have to be considering what kind of prosecutors, judges, and juries am I, am I likely to encounter. Mm -hmm. And I would, I would pose for our, uh, our, our viewers that probably the majority of the time if we are in an area with enough unrest that many of these uh, folks may not be the self-defense type juror. Let's mm -hmm. put it that way. Yep. Now, again, we are, we are looking down the road ahead of us because we don't know how this is all going to turn out. Mm -hmm. So maybe public opinion in these limited areas will sway one way or the other if something unfolds after we, after we taped this here today, right? Mm -hmm. um, but again, my point isn't to say, here's what will happen. My point is to say, here's what can happen and to identify a lot of these variables out there for people to consider. And hopefully, again, my aim is to everybody just kind of back off and say, this is how messed up this could be. Mm -hmm. Not worth it. I'm, yeah. I, I don't care if I got to do a two-hour detour. It isn't worth it. Yeah, and and I'm looking at this from a, from a tactical self-defense perspective. Even in a vehicle, if you engage with gunfire, this person who has smashed open your window and you shoot at that person, where are you going to go and what are you going to do? You know, typically I would tell people you don't want to be in the front seat of your car because that's that's the coffin. I mean, you're easy, you're an easy target for someone in there, but you don't want to be out of your car into a crowd of, you know, 500 or 1,000 people. Granted, maybe only 10 or 15 of them can actually rain blows down on you, but that's 10 or 15 to 1. Right. So um, I'm really going to be uh, um, stressing over and over. Avoidance is is the best plan for this. Maybe some people want to go and they want to see the the protests and the, you know this is uh, for some people this is you know history in the making or something like that. But uh, th this is a very dangerous situation physically and from a legal standpoint. It it's a quagmire. I I I see no real easy way to explain all of the things that could happen except to remind people that all of the things that could happen from a self defense standpoint are many and varied and all of the things that could happen from a legal standpoint we're talking about you know if you survive the encounter the legal aftermath of this is is going to take time and money and stress and a toll on everything that's going on so i really want people to stay away and we only touched on the criminal aspects keep in mind yeah. that you're going to get sued from like 50 different people there oh, yeah, as well absolutely. i mean the lawsuits will be epic if, mm -hmm. if this happens right yeah. so uh again I, I'm not trying to say that it's fair that people block roads. I'm not trying to make any kind of political statement one way or mm -hmm. edgewise about that. What I am saying is I'm trying to make legal statements so that people can can learn just what a trap that is to mm -hmm. go into it. Yeah. So uh, avoid. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to get into some questions here. I'm going to have Nicole bring those up pretty quickly. But I, I want to start with, um, we talked a little bit about Castle Doctrine. I want to start with uh, your understanding and, and impart it to the rest of the viewers of the stand your ground laws. Sure. So that people understand that and and the whole world can stop saying they're just, you get to shoot anybody kind of laws. So. Right. So stand your ground really has to be discussed in context, of course, with some sort of duty to retreat. So. Mm -hmm. 
Um, it, it used to be that, and in some places there is still either hard or perhaps even a soft duty to retreat, that before you could use any kind of deadly force to protect yourself, to protect your loved ones, to protect a third party, that you have to first exhaust all of your duties to retreat, all of your mm -hmm. opportunities to retreat. So, so to speak, your back had to be up against the wall. You had no place left to run before you could then use deadly force to defend yourself. Mm -hmm. By contrast, standard ground says, no, you don't have to retreat. Okay, um, so you, that means that if you, if you have the triggering criteria, so to speak, to then use deadly force, that you don't have to retreat first, you can use deadly force. Mm -hmm. uh, my strong suggestion uh, is if you can get out of there, it's not worth using deadly force because the yeah. aftermath, whether you're 100% you're right or whether you're 100% wrong, it doesn't matter. The aftermath is probably a lot worse mm -hmm. than you can imagine. Uh, and if you can get out of there safely, get out of there. Yeah, absolutely. And and you use the term triggering criteria. And and for folks, understand that that the the stand your ground laws don't change any of the other laws. All of the other elements of um, the requirements for the use of deadly force are still in place. So you still have to be facing an imminent deadly threat. You still have to be able to articulate that and and see that it's happening. So. Um, just because there is a stand your ground law in your state or in your area, it really doesn't change much of anything other than you don't have to try to retreat. And when I talk to people about retreat, I always say retreat safely. You know, you're not going to turn your back on a knife or a loaded gun or something like that. You still have to have a safe means of retreat and be able to articulate that to the investigating officers, your attorney and stuff like that was, well, why didn't you retreat? Well, I couldn't, I could not run the guy. He had a gun or, or whatever it was, you know, at that point. So, um, again, lots of cool stuff, uh, cool legal concepts going round and round. On, but just, on this sort of just keep in mind that even if you win in court, you're going to lose in the media. You're yeah. going to lose in all those different places with, with all the politics and everything that's going on right now and all the optics and, you know, all those kind of buzzwords that people like yeah. to throw around. Um, your life, again, even if you win every single court battle, which will have tremendous cost, both mm -hmm. financially, uh, personally, psychologically, health, uh, socially, uh, yeah. it, there, there's going to be no end to the costs involved. So um, avoid, avoid, avoid. Yeah, absolutely. All right, moving into the questions. At what point do we as law-abiding gun owners have the legal right to step in and help police officers, especially against rioters? Right. So again, we're back to just for lack of a better way of putting it, vanilla defense, although yeah. here we're talking about defense of third person laws. Mm -hmm. um, so if you see an officer, doesn't matter if it's an officer or someone else, but in this question, it's an officer. If an officer is uh, basically facing uh, a reasonable threat of, of imminent or, or deadly force, um, if somebody's shooting at the officer as an example, um, then again without going down the political hole right yeah. which which we're teetering on the brink of here mm -hmm. um but then if that person is is basically if that person's privileged to use self-defense then you can use self-defense to protect them mm -hmm. let's let's shortcut it like that okay yeah and and that makes good sense i do want to remind people especially in a situation like a riot or where an officer might be um, away from another group of officers or something like that you need to make sure that you know exactly what's going on and that you have a means to identify and very clearly let officers, other responding officers, backup officers who might show up on the scene, that you are a good guy. If there are shots ringing out in a riot situation and 
you're actually helping the officer, but nobody can figure that out. They just see you shooting from behind cover. You're probably going to take some incoming rounds your way because you're someone in a riot shooting a gun. Right. So um, this it's a very confusing situation for everybody. Do not allow yourself to look like an aggressor anywhere in a situation like that, because that um, that will go badly for you. And, you know, and um, and one of the things I would say is that if, if you're if you're going to help an officer, identify that very clearly with words like officer, I'm here to help you. I'm here to help you. That cop who is in the middle of a life and death situation might not believe you. He, you know, he, right. he, he's been lied to before. So right. um, he's just trying to to get out of that situation alive. So um, a very um, convoluted, very confusing situation. Um, next up, are rioters throwing bricks at your house considered deadly threats? What if they throw Molotov cocktails instead? <laughs> so um, right. there you are. You're protecting your home. And rioters are coming down the street and they start throwing bricks at your house. Right. Go. Yeah. <laughs> right. There we go. Go. Yep. So look again. So check your local listings, uscca.com forward slash laws, because the laws on defense of property, laws of defense of, of, of castle, of home, so to speak, mm -hmm. are definitely going to vary from state to state. Uh, I can see the argument. Let's put it that way. I can see the argument for the fact that, look, somebody threw a brick through my door or a brick through my window. Mm -hmm. uh, if I now go and I look up, if I Google what's castle doctrine, well, if somebody is breaking into or is in the process of breaking into my home, yep. brick through window I think you can definitely make the argument that that counts, right? Yeah. Um, you can also, I think, make an argument that that doesn't count. Uh, brick through window. Well, they weren't coming in. Well, yeah, but they were breaking in, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know what they're going to do next, yeah. right? Brick yeah. through door now, five guys later. Um, that's a mess. Yeah, that's absolutely. a mess. And uh, we would look at that from law enforcement perspective. We'd say the totality of the circumstance. If it's a crowd of people walking down the street and someone throws a brick and the crowd keeps moving down the street... Okay, that's vandalism. If someone throws a brick and decides, come on, let's go in there and see what they got, right. that changes the game completely. Right. Um, and uh, now the the second question is, is one that, that we've had, that I've had discussion with other cops about as well. Somebody's holding a Molotov cocktail. Somebody's got what right. appears to be a deadly weapon. Okay, they're throwing this Molotov cocktail. Um, and so... I'm standing there at you know my little street address looking out onto the street and people are, are marching and, and someone with a Molotov cocktail turns and begins to light it as if to throw it at my house. Okay. I, I had. Thank I, you, community. Yeah, Thank you for all these yes, great questions. This is a good one. I will. I had several years ago, I had one of what was the most terrifying crowd control conversations of my life with a, a member of the Israeli military mm. and what he would do in an incident like that. And I thought to myself, thank God I live in America yeah, because he solved the problem very quickly. He was like, this is what we do and this is how we do it and why. And I said, okay, yeah, I don't think we could do that here. Right. So, um, so, so that's my question. You're, you're seeing this guy lighting the Molotov cocktail. Right. On your front lawn, he's looking at your house. Right. He's he's pointing, he's yep. doing the Babe Ruth call out yep. of he's here's like, where I'm right going. Right up with it. there. I don't I yeah. don't like those white shutters. Mm -hmm. they, you know, I should have never gone with the plaid curtains. This nope. place is coming down. Yep. yep. And um what can you do in that situation? <laughs> yeah. So I think that let's start with kind of the low resolution ten thousand foot view of uh again, what's the totality of the circumstances? What's the context? Uh, is this somebody who's done this to four houses down the street? 
uh, and they are just going from house to house doing this. Um, and I'm not saying that that means, no, you can't do anything. I'm just saying that what's the totality of the circumstances here? Mm-hmm. Um, it's obviously a very rapidly moving, fluid, dynamic situation. It's going to be one where, as we already touched on before, but it's so important to reiterate again, it's going to be difficult, if not impossible, to establish any solid facts and evidence as to here is exactly what happened. The result is that there's a very good chance that the uh, law, responding law enforcement officers, the investigators, the detectives, the prosecutor, the judge, and the jury are probably going to hear two, three, four, eight different, radically different and diverging uh, testimonies about what happened. Um, and again, I realize that from a, such a clear-cut situation, why are we talking about that, right? Mm-hmm. Trust me. If yeah. you've if you've been around the criminal justice system, if you've been in law enforcement, you you don't have to ask that question because there's going to be questions as to whether or not he was lighting a cigarette or something else, mm-hmm. right? Um, so I think that there's going to be those people, right? Uh, and again, we're we're kind of sticking high level, low resolution here. There's going to be those people who say, well, defensive property is just never right, mm-hmm. or, or you know, to use any kind of deadly force is just never right. Now, most states, many states. Uh, you can use non-deadly force to defend property. Uh, I would reference folks back about four or five minutes in the conversation to the brick tossing through door as to kind of, well, what, what, what do we have there? Molotov cocktails are not bricks, right? Um, they're kind of their own thing. They can go through windows. They can get into baby's cribs. They can do all sorts of very nasty, very gnarly, inhumane things. And again, we're back to context and what's the totality of the circumstances. If I've got two kids, two toddlers taking their afternoon naps, and this guy's pointing and Babe Ruth calling out their window, I think that's a different situation. Mm-hmm. That's going to be a gnarly situation to establish a fact pattern and court on. And I think that this is going to fall down to a lot of those, the politics and prejudices one way or the other of what's local law enforcement, who I'm going to suspect will not be very sympathetic to the guy with the Molotov cocktail. Mm-hmm. Um, the prosecutor, one step removed, will hopefully not be terribly sympathetic to the guy with the Molotov cocktail. But then you're going to get so-and-so on the jury who kind of says, well, you know, they've they've got a right to Molotov cocktail. And if you spend any time on the internet, we've all seen those people, Yeah. right? So. Yeah. Don't think for a second, and hopefully your defense attorney will do an excellent job of trying to weed those people out during jury selection. Um, Those people often are the same people who may want to get on a jury and may do their best to disguise their views, understanding that they may be deselected for Mm -hmm. a jury, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Uh, The bottom line is this, is this is going to take a very deep dive on what are the exact local laws. It's going to take a very deep dive on... uh, What's the exact context? How does everything stack up? I can imagine circumstances where employing deadly force will be entirely justifiable. I can imagine circumstances where applying deadly force, let's put it this way, can lead to your prison sentence. Yeah. Okay. And and I was very careful in how I worded that. Those are two different things that I'm being very being very picky and to parse those words that way so where it can be justifiable and where it can lead to a prison sentence which does not necessarily mean you were not justified but it does mean that you're spending x amount of years behind bars maybe the rest of your life i understand that of course in this scenario in this context it's deliberately constructed so we're retreating from our home 
mm-hmm. which is different than I'm, I'm on a street, I'm in a car, and you know maybe I could have Googled my way or something around this protest. Uh, and that there maybe are people in the home, maybe they have disabilities, maybe there is no, there is no safe egress other than directly into this guy's path. It's a, it's a, you're choosing between awful outcomes, yeah. awful scenarios. I appreciate the fact community that, uh, <laughs> that it was deliberately constructed to kind of watch me squirm on that, mm-hmm. but there's, there's no perfect answer. Mm-hmm. You're, you're choosing what you need to do to survive, uh, hopefully uh, at a minimum. And you need to know your local laws and you need to do the best thing possible to have that evidence protected. If you see protesters coming down your street and if you have a very real concern about that, if you can set up some sort of GoPro or some sort of camera in your window, um, God forbid, it's just to establish here's what happened. Right. Mm -hmm. And again, if you do that, then maybe the argument comes out that, well, look, he they wanted to do something. He was waiting. He He was he was wanted to catch it. He wanted to catch it on video. Right. There's no right answer with any of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I appreciate the fact that the homeowner in this question probably didn't do a thing to ask for it. Mm-hmm. I get that. Um, we live in, in a world where there are often all bad answers. Yeah. And I really feel like this is one of those situations, unfortunately. Yep. And, and uh, it, it's th- these are tough questions. And I thank you for, for at least, you know, moving it along down the line enough to give people more to think about. Here's one. This will be an easy one. It'll oh, give you the, okay. it, it's the standard Tom Grieve, it depends answer. Are you ready oh, for this? So I've already given you I'm the always answer. ready yeah. for those. <laughs> so can you shoot from inside a vehicle if you're surrounded by attacking rioters? It depends. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> so, um, and we talked a little bit about that right. as, as, as we started, but um, yeah, you have to prove that, that it's a, a deadly threat. Right. We're back to Castle Doctrine. And, you know, something that, that we did not touch on before, but just to touch on, uh, if people have fired, you know, shorter-barreled rifle shotguns being an extreme or, or high-powered revolvers, but if you've ever shot, you know, just a Glock 19 or something like that, uh, with as we're both Glock guys, mm-hmm. you know, a Glock 19 yeah, yeah. without any kind of ear pro yeah. at the range, that's an unpleasant experience. Mm-hmm. Have you ever shot one inside a warehouse, you know, with lots of open space? That's a more unpleasant experience. If you mm-hmm. ever tried shooting one in a car, like inside a car? Yes. That's an awful experience. <laughs> yeah, and that uh, that ringing, that's the sound that you're never going to hear that tone again. That's yeah. the uh, um the the first round you might hear and then the rest is just going to be ee it's going to it's going to be very disorienting. Yeah. And keep in mind that of course you are at the controls of a Gosh, you know, these days, what, you know, a, a, a two ton to, to, you know, six ton or whatever it is, yeah. you know, motor vehicle out there. Um, and again, I'm not trying to say this to say that, well, look, you shouldn't have done this. I'm other than the fact that if it was avoidable, avoid it, mm-hmm. but just understand that your senses and your ability to probably think and act clearly to rely on your training and to rely on your education will probably precipitously drop. Mm-hmm. after the first time you pull the trigger with your firearm inside a car. Um, yeah. And and to be clear, I'm not saying to try this at home first to see how bad it is. Um, as somebody who has, just just because, just because, just yeah. uh, who has experimented with something like this, I'll I'll just summarize the answer, the, the results like this. I only did it once, okay? Yeah. Once was enough. Yep. I was not inside a car. I tried shooting uh, my 454 revolver without... Uh, just- with yeah. with an underwood load, which if mm-hmm. you know that, 
that's a big boy load. Yep. That's not that's not a download uh, outside. Uh, and uh, yeah. once was enough. Yeah. Well, I've gone through good. I've gone through several training evolutions of shooting from inside a car, and it is something that if you're if you think you're going to do it well. Think again. Um, lots of different things happen, um, and and not the least of which is that if you're shooting through glass, that glass, some of that comes back towards you, and uh, so things like eye protection and cuts to your face and, and things like that are, are very real dangers, as well as all of the you know legal aftermath and all the other stuff that's going to go on there. So again, yeah, you might be able to shoot you know from your driver's seat at a person who's attacking you. You might be able to do that legally. If you don't absolutely have to, please, folks, don't do it. Please avoid that situation. So. And, you know, just to kind of touch on something that, you know, my, my wife, uh, if she's watching, knows that I always harp on is every single pair of sunglasses that I drive with. Yeah. And, you know, my sunglasses, I am I able to squeeze three to five years before somehow they get wrecked. Um, I always make sure they have a shockproof rating to them. Yeah. Uh, I, I, they've got to be polarized and they've got to have a shockproof rating mm-hmm. though. If they don't have either one of those, they're not my driving sunglasses. Mm-hmm. I was in a, a car accident as a child where a gate was hit and the glass was just shattered inside. Yeah. And that, I think I was probably about five years old at the mm-hmm. time, but that sticks with you. Yeah. I remember the glass everywhere. From oh, that. I bet. So, yep. yeah. All right. Now here's one that uh, th- this is, is going to be a good one. I'm going to read this right off the screen to make sure that I don't mess it up. Um, folks who have uh, who are have bounced around the internet know Polk County Sheriff Grady Judd. I believe it's Polk County, Florida, or Georgia, or I think something Florida, like that. Florida, yeah. 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 So made an announcement telling his citizens that if they have to shoot and kill home invaders, or even rioters in your yards, or those destroying your home, cars, or property, they should. And will that hold up in defense in court? I'm going to go with um, Sheriff Grady's statement. Probably not real good here in Wisconsin at all, you know, or anywhere else. But um, that that if you have to, you should shoot these these home invaders. Um, Let's talk a little bit about you know that a public official, a sheriff, making a statement like that, and. What should people? What should your takeaway be if you're if you see that on the internet and and okay, thank you, sheriff, because he's a really popular guy. People love his rants and and, and stuff like that. But um, how does this hold up in court? It it probably doesn't. Yeah. Is is the the very long story mm-hmm. short on it? You know, and and now uh, presidential nominee Joe Biden, or well, he's not technically a nominee not, yet. Not yet. But but, he's but getting there. he. Uh, I think he gave a famous interview some years ago where he said, mm-hmm. "Yeah, just put a couple shotgun blasts through the, through yep. the window, and you yeah. know that'll well, he wanted scare to him shoot off. in the air out the back right. door." So. And again, I'm not saying that to be political. I'm just saying that as a reference point for another, another, uh, another politician, mm-hmm. right? And sheriffs are elected, so yeah. even if they don't think of themselves as politicians, they're they're in the game, so to speak. Um, but no, it's there. I say that there's probably a very good chance that the judge at at your homicide trial mm-hmm. um, will block the jury from ever even being allowed to hear about that. Um, and even if they don't, the judge will still direct the jury to, at the end of the day, decide the case based on your law, mm-hmm. not the law enforcement attitudes in Polk County, Florida, yeah. or wherever that was. And again, I'm not trying to take away anything from the rage that I feel, and I'm sure I'm not alone, um, when I see somebody's business get looted, when I see, when I see whether it's this incident or any incident, 
when I see that happening. Um, I'm not saying that I don't have, uh, at, you know, we all feel, I think, that that anger of mm-hmm. like, they can't do this. Yeah. They're, they're destroying my life. They're destroying my livelihood. They're destroying all this. Um, I get that. I'm not trying to take that away. But there will be a life on the other side of that, right? Mm-hmm. And if that life is going to be wearing orange behind bars forever, that's something we need to know and we need to take that into consideration. So I'm not trying to devalue. I'm not trying to to delete or anything of the sort. All of those feelings, in my view, mm-hmm. justified feelings. Um, but for now, at least, we still live in a society of laws, not feelings. Yeah. We're, we're we're going that way, but uh, but for now, that's where we're at. And jurors do weird things. If, if you've been through enough jury trials, you know that jurors decide cases both for and against defendants on weird reasons, sometimes mm-hmm. reasons that the prosecutor, the defense attorney, the judge, witnesses never even discussed or brought up. Yeah, They just bring in these weird things that nobody ever heard of before, nobody ever did anything before, and sometimes they help you and sometimes they hurt you, and it is what it is. And again, I'm referencing all this, and you know what I'm going to say, and you at down the lens all know what I'm going to say. I'm referencing this because this is all part of that that the Plinko game yeah. of going through the justice system where you, you can beat the rap, but you can't beat the ride. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if you're totally justified, if your philosophy, your your theology, your, your everything justifies it, it doesn't change the fact that if you get a jury who views it another way, you're going to wish that you looked for alternatives. Yeah. And, and I'm going to take a, a quick minute to look right at the lens and say, folks, uh, if you're if you're looking for legal advice on the Internet, this is the only place you should look. <laughs> and then even then, after Tom says it, ask your own attorney, get yeah. your own legal advice from your attorney in your jurisdiction. So um, just because an angry sheriff says something on the Internet doesn't mean that it will help you at all in court. So um, it's not this, law. Yeah. It's, the, the, the sheriff in Polk County is not your local legislature yeah. of your assembly, your Senate and your governor who has instantly passed a reform to all of your local laws. And yeah. that isn't to say that we can't all agree with him mm-hmm. on some or all levels, but it, it's not a substitute for your local laws. Yeah. Know yeah. your local laws. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So um, if I live in a community where an active riot is taking place, should we even call the police if we are feeling threatened by rioters and looters? Will they even come? Um, I'm going to say yes, call the police. I don't know what the response time will be, if there's a response at all, if there's... Um, I, uh, we had a, a situation from an alarm company the other day and, and my, um, my two adult children uh, inadvertently triggered the alarm at the Iola office and uh, that alarm company happened to be in Minneapolis. So mm-hmm. when they called me saying the alarm was going off in Iola, they were way too busy with other things happening in Minneapolis at right. the time. So we don't know how off, you know, how, how the response time will be, but, um, why is it important for people to call the police in a situation like this? Well, you're going you're gonna to first off establish evidence. You're going to start building the track record that um, this was not some sort of impulsive act that you underdone. Or at least you're, you're stacking evidence in that favor. Um, you're registering the fact that, hey, there's there's something going down here. Get some officers here to hopefully, well, mm-hmm. ordinarily de-escalate the situation. Yep. Uh, we all know that crowds and, and so forth don't necessarily react to the best to shows of authority. Um, but... You're, you're, you're getting, hopefully, some good evidence gatherers moving in your direction 
that will hopefully um, diffuse <clears throat> the situation coming your way. Uh, if you want to, keep in mind all those 911 calls are being recorded. Uh, you can obviously, well, hopefully, you can if you want, if you choose, you can stay on the line, even if you have to put the phone down or whatever it might be. Um, but you're hopefully getting someone coming your way. But mm-hmm. don't be surprised if they're not getting couple hundred other phone calls at that point in time and i'd imagine you know and kevin obviously uh you can maybe speak to this but i imagine that if you're in a situation where that's what's going on we can probably reasonably safely put ourselves in a more of an urban area um we probably have an all hands on deck already for law enforcement Mm -hmm. everybody's in riot gear probably most of the troops so to speak most of them are already deployed somewhere doing something they probably don't have a big bullpen to respond to calls is that fair yeah that's that's absolutely fair and in many cases like this especially responding to large-scale protests or or large scale like that the the officers are not going to be in individual patrol cars by themselves they're going to be in units and uh, um, typically you'll hear the term you know it's it's in the stack something that's coming from dispatch to an officer they're stacked up anyways and now if we've got you know 10 times the calls coming in um, and and officers are not individually responding anymore but responding in units as an officer safety measure um, it, it might be a while before officers can get there right right yeah and at the end of the day there's just no substitute for mm-hmm. for being educated trained and yeah. prepared as best one can for this mm-hmm. but doing so in as cool a calm manner as possible because you yeah. don't want to Obviously, and I'm not telling you guys anything that you don't already know, but, mm-hmm. you know, rash action leads to prison sentences. Yeah, and so. and, and all the laws still apply, folks. So um, here's a good one, and, and it's going to be broken into three parts. So bear with oh, me before okay. we jump into this. Uh, <laughs> we have one question in 24 parts. Here we go. <laughs> um, what are the legal risks gun owners face from things like martial law during protests or riots. So first we want to define, because there's, there's a lot of talk about martial law, we sure. need to define what that is so that people understand that it's it, it it's not what some people are talking about. And um, what extra powers does the government have with a de- uh, declaration of martial law? And um, I know that uh, it, like you know during Katrina, they confiscated some guns and there have been some laws now put in place specifically to prohibit that. Right. But, um, if there is a declaration of martial law, first tell people what that is, and then um, what extra powers does the government have? So there's some very obscure court cases that you've got to go back off the top of my head. I think it's over 100 years, which mm-hmm. really kind of gets into parsing out whether or not martial law has been established. And again, without dragging people through the weeds and kind of sticking high level here, uh, martial law, generally speaking, is when we either abolish uh, civil courts, civil process, civil procedure. Let's say suspend. Suspend. Okay. <laughs> we, we, we put a hard pause yeah. on, on those things, and basically the military takes over. Mm-hmm. Um, so military courts, military justice, military everything, um, maybe even a military governor uh, to take over the, the civilian roles. That is what martial law looks like from a legal perspective. Those are some of the... Uh, some of the indicators, some of the clues for that's what that's what's going on. To my knowledge, at least as of tape recording, nothing ha- like that has happened. We have obviously seen National Guard as well as I think some active duty units called up, um, but legally that does not rise to any at least current descriptions of what constitutes martial law. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, and. Do they have extra powers? Do they do they no longer need a search warrant? Do they you know things like that? If- 
Well, so we haven't really seen much in the way of martial law, uh, thankfully. Yes. Right. I, I thankfully, don't right? Yeah. I, 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 mean... I still like civilian <laughs> oversight, civilian control, and 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 folks need to understand that that you you will never hear me use the the you know uh, separate people into law enforcement officers and civilians. Law enforcement officers are civilians. They are civilian law enforcement officers. Everyone is a civilian except if you are actively serving in the military. So that's that's the difference. Right. You know. Right. Right. Um, as So I, the reason why I cite that, and this may sound like an elaborate punt, which I guess it is, really, um, but the reason why I cite that is because there's been, if you think about all the changes that we've seen to society since, you know, some of the last big times where martial law came up, you know, World War II and, and some other areas, you know, I think off the top of my head, Hawaii may have been placed mm-hmm. under martial law when it was threat of invasion. I mean, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have, you know, household phones. We didn't have, I mean... We all, I don't have to go through the list. You guys know the list, right? Yeah. So that's a very fancy way of saying, well, look, I can kind of point to some of the legal uh, clues and indicators uh, and the thresholds mm-hmm. of, okay, we're in martial law here. Um, as we all are aware, without politicizing it, uh, non-martial law, civil law, which so so non-uniform uh, you know, uniform code of military justice, UCMJ, um, non-UCMJ law can do quite a bit. Uh, as far as curfews, as far as lockdowns, as far as all this other kind of stuff goes. So I guess I don't really know, you know, okay, so you mentioned search warrants, you mentioned the Constitution and so forth. Um, there's so far, I remember when I was doing some research on uh, can can the government uh, legally, uh, can the government legally do forcible uh, vaccinations? Mm-hmm. I was reading a case about that from, it's like the 19 teens or something, uh, or 1906 or something like that. Yeah. And just kind of wading through all this really old stuff. And again, I'm the only reason why I'm bringing that up is just to show you how, I'm not gonna say antiquated, but to say how thankfully behind the times a lot of these, these laws are. Uh, we've seen a lot of things with FISA courts. We've seen a lot of things, um, you know, some would, argue, some would politically argue that they are uh, either suspending or abolishing the Constitution. Others would say that they are shortcutting it. Others would say that they are respecting it, and we just need to have a reasonable degree of expediency to, in order to basically to protect uh, and so forth. Again, I'm not here to get into the politics of it, but candidly, I don't think anybody can really say here's what it will look like. Like we already see so much, um, we already see so so much um, everything frankly, yeah. as, as far as kind of government getting into things. And again, I'm not saying that politically. I'm just saying that observationally, mm-hmm. um, that it's difficult to imagine what that would look like. But I don't, knock on wood, I don't see us getting there off off yeah. of what's going on right now. Um, and I say that as a good thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. I'm I'm not looking forward to it. I'm not one of those people who's, you know, is, is demanding insurrection and, and, you know, violent change to the government. Um, people don't understand what all comes with that. You know, and the first thing is that they're going to get your power shut off. And, you know, that's uh, oh, it's, if, um, it's people need to go to a place where there is a civil war to understand what happens during a civil war. And, and it's uh, awful. Yeah. So I don't think they're thinking that all the way through. All right, let's talk about what happens. Uh, what happens if you're detained by police at a protest and you have your firearm on you? And they don't know that until after you were detained, obviously. So right. um, is is this, by virtue of merely being at the protest, um, 
And, and first, I want to I want to clarify something, folks. You are not going to be detained at a protest unless you do something that really stands out. Right. I mean, <clears throat> law enforcement officers at a protest are looking at a crowd. Most of the crowd is unruly, and this and and it, it can be the same for at a festival. We're looking at at a big crowd of people. Most of the crowd might be unruly or or, or doing something that's like oh, I wish they wouldn't do that. But to get detained at a protest where it might ignite further violence, right? You're going to have to be doing something that really makes you stand out to the cops, right? Before they come out and they're like, "Okay, buddy, come here. We want to talk to you." Right. Um, at that point, you've got your gun on you. What happens? Well, I mean, you, you just said it all, and yeah. and I say that in in a great way because, um, you know, I, I remember going to the Indianapolis 500 one year, and there's this little section, which is kind of like. The you know, snake pit, yes, been there. Yeah, it, it's is that what I don't remember yeah. what it's called, but yeah. it's something so. yeah, right where it's like you can get a contact high if you're if you're you know, and cops are all standing there just watching it, mm-hmm. and it's like, well, you know, we're managing the chaos in essence. We're yeah. keeping people safe, but we're managing the chaos, and and the reason why I, I re harp on that is because that's exactly it. Whatever happened upstream of you being detained will probably dictate a lot of what will happen downstream of you being detained. Um, But I would want to, in a safe, calm, respectful manner, uh, to ensure everyone's safety, I would want to inform them that, look, I'm I'm carrying um, because you don't need that coming up later. Yeah, <laughs> that's during the pat down. It's like, hey, you know, right, um, right. At that uh, situation. So, but I mean, to your point, I, I, I really think that that you nailed it. As far as well, look, if you've ever been to one of these chaotic situations where you just can tell law enforcement is treating this as we're managing the chaos, as opposed to we are maintaining uh, rules and 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 laws and so forth, uh, you've got to do something to stand out. And my strong suspicion is that whatever led to your detainer will will deeply impact everything yeah and and in in a situation like that folks um uh you'll be presented with what we call law enforcement contact you'll have law enforcement contact out on the street in a situation like that only if we as the law enforcement officers out there deem that you are a, a a risk to the safety of the crowd or maybe to a lesser extent, your own safety. We obviously don't want people, you know, climbing up on the light poles and falling out of trees or something like that. But even at that point, you know, well, he's he's up on the light pole. Um, I'm there's other stuff going on. I need to pay attention to. Right. If he falls, we'll get him an ambulance, kind of thing. So, um, yeah, that if you're detained at a protest, um, chances are really good you've done something to that. One cop isn't going to notice. He's going to say to another cop, "Hey." Do you see that? Right. And then the question is, and this is something that, you know, it, you know, it's like inside baseball. The cops will look at each other and we will say, and I've said this many times, do we want to do something about that? And then with this, yeah, okay, now we got to, now we've got to step in and, and do something about that. So um, at that point, yeah, uh, you know, being polite and letting people know what's going on. Um, let's make sure we do that. Which so, is going to be hard. I mean, yeah. if, if you're already doing something. Yeah. And obviously, we're presupposing that that you are the aggressor, right? Mm-hmm. But maybe somebody's punching you in the face, yeah. and cops rush in to get that guy. And you know what? Yeah. They grab you too, yeah, because they don't know what the deal yeah. is. It's it looks like mutual combat to right. us, so right? Yeah. So yeah, they, they didn't see the first punch. So mm-hmm. not one hundred percent of these scenarios are scenarios where you're the bad guy, so yeah. to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, but that of course belies the fact that if violence is breaking out, get out of dodge. Yeah, move out, move away from that. And right. uh, and if you're having law enforcement contact in a situation like that. 
Um, start off by being polite because that, it, it, let's not escalate any of that. Um, and, it, you know, in a situation like that, officers are going to want to clear from that as quickly as they can just in case something else happens. And if you're right. calm and they're, you know, so. Right. Um, uh, let's see. Does attending a protest make it more likely that you cannot claim self-defense? So, you know, I drive from my home in the suburbs to go see the protest. Right. And then something happens and I have to defend myself. Sure. Is the question, would you as a prosecutor have said, well, Kevin, why did you drive down there? What were you looking to do? Well, I'm, it depends, Kevin. Yeah. And, and here's why, right? If I go to watch a boxing match, right, and if somebody starts punching me in the face in the crowd, uh, that's not what I signed up for. Right. Right. So there is the idea that if you are voluntarily consenting to something, you know, I, I play ice hockey. I still play ice hockey. And, uh, you know, if somebody trips me, I can't sue them. That's mm-hmm. it's part of what I signed up for. It's, it's part of the game. So if I'm showing up to the game with baseball bats and my hockey helmet and I post a whole bunch of things on Facebook about how, oh, I'm going to go use this bat on someone, that's a very different situation as compared to um, I'm there with, you know, my cell phone camera and, uh, you know, I'm just peaceably just minding my own business and the business found me. Mm -hmm. Um, And and for whatever reason, I couldn't escape um, or didn't escape. Those are two very different situations. Yeah. And uh, I'm not saying that the first group is 100% never going to be able to use self-defense laws. Um, what I am saying is the fact that you 100% put yourself in a hole for using those self-defense mm-hmm. laws, for claiming those self-defense laws. Um, and that's the second group is going to be a very different situation. Yeah, all the rules, all the laws still apply. I right. mean, people, people need to know that none of this stuff is getting suspended. Um, if you get arrested during a protest, can you lose your Second Amendment rights? If you get convicted of a felony, if you get convicted of a domestic violence, if you, uh, you know, go through your 4473 checklist. Yeah. <laughs> right. All of those. So, things. right. All those things. So, yeah, if if one of those things, if you have a lasting impact because of a, of a conviction and involuntary mental hold, a domestic abuse restraining order, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. Yeah. That, that's what and, will happen. And uh, as a law enforcement officer during law enforcement contact, I can take a person's firearm from their possession mm-hmm. to check to see if it's listed as stolen or something like that. Following that law enforcement contact, when I break that law enforcement contact, I am to return that firearm to them. Um, I don't believe that law enforcement officers can take your gun and walk away with it, you know, just because you had your gun at a protest or anything like that. My not, career, not to my knowledge. Yeah, so right. that, that would be, I, I would be stealing your gun. I, right. I have no legal right to take that. So, But, you know, just kind of yeah. on on. The thought process of I'm going to a protest and I'm going to conceal carry, which, um, you know, I I can get if I'm going to be going to a place that could have violence. You know, I want to protect myself, but I'm going to a place that could have violence. And, you know, these protests, you know, hopefully I'm not breaking any ice for you folks out there. Um, They may turn violent. Right. There may be some jostling. There may be some this. There may be some that. What kind of retention do you have? How concealed Mm -hmm. are you? Um, You know. It's 80 degrees plus a lot of mm-hmm. these days, at least here in Wisconsin. I can only imagine how, you know, yeah. some warmer places are. Um, but concealment, you're, you're going to make yourself a target for sure. Yeah. doesn't matter which yeah. side of, of, the, of the protest aisle you're on here. You're going to make yourself a target uh, to, to some people that you don't want to be on their radar. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not to say anything, painting any broad strokes here about mm-hmm. protesters are evil or these people are evil. 
but I think it's safe to say, and I think we can all hopefully agree upon that there are some bad seeds that like to infiltrate and take advantage of some things yeah. and you'll be on their radar if, if they see that you are concealed carrying. So I only bring that up not to try to discourage people to go to protests, not to try to discourage people from concealed carrying, but keep in mind that when you combine the two, you are in a much more volatile situation with a lot more exposure and to risk. Uh, and that that is what it is. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Be mindful of, you know, who's who's going to see you with your gun there? Is somebody right. who's going to see you who doesn't like that you're carrying a gun? Somebody going to see you that wants to take your gun away from you? Right. All sorts of things could be happening with that, folks. Right. So, all right. Um, we're about four minutes left. Tom, we'll wrap it up here with a, uh, can I be arrested for just having a concealed firearm during a protest? And I want to bring this around, too, as well. I understand the Wisconsin Supreme Court has said, when we're talking about open carry, the mere presence of a firearm does not rise to the level of disorderly conduct. So we're asking this question, can I be arrested for just having a concealed firearm during a protest? To my knowledge of the state laws out there, um, and keep in mind, there's all sorts of weird factors where, you know, one state has a, a law saying you can't wear a mask and have a firearm. And mm -hmm. so just understand, folks, that there's a lot of different factors at play here. Um, I would say generically speaking, probably not. Mm -hmm. But I'm, I want to leave uh, a road the size that a train could drive through for all your local listings. Yeah. All right. Um, and also in a potentially very chaotic, volatile, and violent situation, it would not surprise me if you may, uh, I would not be surprised to learn if you found yourself uh, wearing handcuffs because you're at the wrong place at the wrong time, not necessarily because you were doing anything wrong, maybe you were, mm -hmm. but, but uh, imputing good faith to those individuals, uh, you were at the wrong place at the wrong time. And I'm not trying to defend the fact that you wound up in handcuffs, but what I am saying is that there's a lot of laws out there and a lot of latitude given to law enforcement for officer mm -hmm. safety. Uh, and if they have a violent and chaotic scene and if they're trying to take the upper hand, it wouldn't surprise me to see folks uh, wearing handcuffs. My suspicion is that they just want people to disperse and be peaceable mm -hmm. and that they're not looking to get as many people in the back of the paddy wagon, wagon as possible here. But uh, it's a chaotic situation. Yeah. And it is what it is. Yeah. And and in a situation like that, um, you know, let's say Officer Mikulowski is, is there at the protest and I see, you know, someone's shirt rides up and I see a firearm. Now I have the legal right in the state of Wisconsin to find out if that person has a concealed carry permit. So I can make law enforcement contact with them because I see the gun on them. They haven't committed a crime yet, but I have reasonable suspicion that, you know, they have a gun. So now I get to know if they have a, a concealed carry permit on it, and I can make that approach and ask. In that situation, I, I really think the best thing for anybody to do is politely comply with that officer's request for, please show me your permit or come over here, we're going to talk or something like that. And I don't believe I'm stepping out of line when I see that because I'm going to make it known to all the other cops in the area. There is a guy over here who happens to be carrying a gun. Right. I have to be very careful when I make that announcement over the radio that they don't think it's, you know, there's a guy with a gun that's different than a guy carrying a gun. And regardless of whatever your local laws are, right, if, if you're carrying and if law enforcement makes contact with you, the appropriate answer is always polite, respectful. Um, and we've all seen the, you know, uh, am I being detained officer yeah. videos on YouTube. Yeah. And I'm not saying that that isn't a way to go. 
mm-hmm. um, and I'm not I'm not trying to diffuse or to take away from I believe what hopefully the good faith crowd of those people mm-hmm. who are doing it who are not doing it to be jerks they're doing it to exercise their constitutional rights um, but that doesn't change the fact that they're trying to sled uphill yeah. Yeah, and it doesn't change the fact that they are now the nail sticking out. Yeah. Um, so, uh, again, I'm I'm not trying to say that it's uh, you know I'm not trying to stop people from exercising their rights, whether it's free speech, whether it's Second Amendment or anything of the sort. Far be it for me to do that. Yeah. But what I am saying is brace brace yourself for some of the consequences of of doing that. And I'm not trying to say that that's fair or just. I'm just saying it is what it is. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you again, Tom. And uh, as I like to say, you know, my therapist says our time is up. So I want to thank you for being here. Um, Incredible insight, as always. How can people help you for being here, you know, as, as a means to say, Thanks, Tom, for all that great advice. Sure. So something that I always ask folks to do is to jump on the internet, jump on Google, Google us, Grieve Law, G-R-I, just my last name, G-R-I-E-V-E, Law. Check out our Google locations. So not our website. If you clicked on our website, you've gone too far. Rather, you know, in the upper left-hand corner, part in the upper right-hand corner, if you're on, um, you know, a desktop or you got to scroll down, click on one of our locations. You know, it says write a review or you got to click on the stars, then click write a review, write a review. Um, it will ask you to grade us on one to five stars. Keep in mind, this is the internet, right? Mm-hmm. So four out of five is a failing grade. So if you yeah. felt like you got something out of this today, I would ask for a five-star review if at all possible. Um, I personally do go through and read and respond to them. So we have multiple locations. So if you've left a review before, uh, you know, Milwaukee, west of Milwaukee, Madison, uh, further up north towards Appleton and so forth, um, as many reviews is, is, is great. We love reading them. Uh, it's a big part of what allows me to be here. And so thank you in advance for everybody leaving reviews. I really appreciate it and look forward to reading them later. Well, super. Thank you very much, Tom. And, and thanks again for being here. And folks, this has been your monthly Ask an Attorney webinar here from the U.S. Excuse me, I need to cough. Um, here from the USCCA. No coronavirus. No, I, doing, I was going to say it I'm while we're live. Fine. But yeah. yeah. But uh, thanks for being here, folks. We're here every month with Ask, Ask an Attorney. And Tom Grieve is here to help us out. So we'll talk to you next month. Take care.